Well, good morning. Oh, we got to try that again. You're kind of you're you're sounding like maybe I feel a little bit. Good morning. Yes. Now again, we're a little bit awake. I don't know about you, but at times I kind of feel very, very, very tired. Like it's kind of bone deep at times. This morning's one of those days. A little bit. I didn't sleep well last night, but I'm glad you're here. Now, Connor, I don't know if he told you or not, but last week, but he is he is hiding some information. Normally, he's, he, he wants to tell you all sorts of stuff, and normally, like, as far as Connor's world is concerned, it's almost Christmas. <laughs> so, but he is finally done with his bachelor's degree. So he gets to go out this coming week, and he's going to... He's going to finally see the school he's going to. <laughs> he's going to go walk and he's going to take some time, but then he's going to be starting at uh, Cairn University in this fall, working on his graduate degree. But uh, so congratulations, Connor, a good job and a kind of fun stuff. I'm, I'm surprised you didn't say anything. I thought maybe you would kind of let some of that out and hint, hint, hint some of that information, you know, because I mean, you're, you're almost in your middle age at this point, you know, so, <laughs> so. Well, very good. Well, this morning we're going to kind of start to pick up a new series as we kind of talk about Hebrews and as we start to walk through the cool things that God is talking about, but also talking about the uniqueness and specialness of Jesus. And one of the things that I kind of really enjoyed as we sang this morning is how, the, again, this is, this is fun because Greg and I don't coordinate. We don't say, this is what I'm going to talk about. This is the theme. So pick these songs. We don't do that. because I figure if the Holy Spirit's going to lead me, the Holy Spirit's going to lead Greg, and it's all going to kind of come together and that kind of stuff. And it, it's amazing how often that works. And so even as we're listening to the songs this morning and singing and talking about that stuff, it's amazing how we're seeing, being reminded of the awesomeness and the amazingness of who Jesus is. Amazing. And so as we start to pick up and look a little bit at the theme of, i got to turn my notes over, I'm in the wrong spot. As you pick up the theme and start to look at the, the, the scripture on Hebrews, I want to begin this morning by walking through a little bit of some background stuff. Because there is some background information that's helpful for us to think about. And, um, and then we'll get going from there. So the first big question is, who wrote Hebrews? Does anyone know who wrote Hebrews? Well, God led it and God directed it. Here's what's interesting. No one has a clue as to who wrote Hebrews. No one knows. In fact, as you kind of look through, look through history, there's different ideas. A lot of people say, we're pretty convinced Paul wrote it. Or we're pretty convinced this other person wrote it. And, and a lot of people have leaned towards Paul. The difference, though, is as you look at the other books that Paul wrote, as you look at Romans, which is kind of a theological conversation, and Paul is introducing himself to the, to the church in Rome and encouraging the church in Rome, but Paul is planning on coming and doing ministry at the church of Rome, and so as he wrote the book of Romans, it's not so much answering questions, because a lot of Paul's other letters and a lot of Paul's other notes, he's teaching, but he's also answering questions. And things are going on, things are taking place, someone sends a message, Paul, I have a question about it, Paul, this is going on. Or Paul hears that some things are happening, so he writes them and he, he talks about things that are going on. But 
when you compare kind of how Hebrews flows to kind of like how Romans flows or other books of Paul's written, it doesn't kind of line up. Does anyone have like a favorite author or authors they enjoy reading? Yes. And we kind of enjoy reading some of those authors because we kind of like and we get familiar with how they write, how they turn a phrase, how they, how they line up things and arrange things. Well, Hebrews doesn't line up with how Paul has written his other books. So we really don't know. We know a number of things, but that's one of those things we don't know. What is he talking about? There's two big things that he talks about. Number one, the superiority of Jesus. He talks about the superiority of Jesus. And as we'll go through, just we're going to look at the first few verses this morning. He talks about the superiority of Jesus and you see that flowing through. But then also as he talks about the superiority of Jesus, he also is talking about and challenging the church, don't quit. Don't quit. Now when we talk about the superiority of Jesus, and we process through that and think about that a little bit, we would kind of hear a church go, well, duh, yeah, Jesus is superior. We, in fact, we were just singing about that. We were, we were just praising him for that. But the challenge of this whole thing is in the rub of life. As things start to happen, sometimes we have these situational ethics that start to kick in. Well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm getting a lot of pressure right now to not say anything. There's a lot of pressure right now to kind of agree with what that person is saying or what that person is saying, and and they're pressing me to affirm those different things. So do I want to push against stuff and say, no, you're wrong, I think it's this. So sometimes people just go, um, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to kind of back up. I'm going to get out of the line of fire. I'm not going to say anything. Don't see me. Don't worry about me. But then in that process, in that reaction, is Jesus superior or is Jesus inferior? See, that's the rub. And I would suggest that as we kind of back up and step away from things because we don't want to kind of talk about Jesus or introduce Jesus or explain Jesus or identify the significance of Jesus, we're really not agreeing that Jesus is superior. We're starting to kind of come back and say, not my thing, don't have to worry about it. And I'm going to keep Jesus on the download because he's really not, he's for me, you don't have to worry about, he's just for me, he's not for the, I'll back away. Well, he is actually for everybody. So is Jesus superior or isn't he? But then in that tension and in that issue is that challenge then for us as Christians, don't quit. Don't back up, don't back away, don't retreat. Because there's a lot of pressure in our culture and a lot of pressure in our world to retreat. Now, we have not yet had properties confiscated, but people do lose jobs. We have not yet been in our country executed. But in the context that we're talking about here and some of the people, that some of the things that will be going on in the world, some of those things will be taking place. So some of the people that the writer to Hebrews is writing to and some of the people that are reading this have gone through different things where they have 
Maybe you lost a loved one, or they're being threatened with death, or their resources and assets have been confiscated or taken away, or, or they've been fired, and, and all that kind of stuff is going on. And when life really starts to squeeze us, and when people start to really put pressure on us to conform, we sometimes kind of weigh the scales and we say, okay, it's not worth it to me to push and to stand for Jesus. I'm going to back up. But here's the problem. There's a bigger picture than just what we experience in the here and now. There's an eternal process going on that we should be engaged in and that we need to be thinking about. And that's part of why we also walk through the, the book of Genesis or the beginning parts of Genesis. Because there's a bigger conversation. And if we are starting to understand the undergirding issues in the teaching and understand who God is, then we're going to be less inclined to back up and back away. But we're going to be more inclined in a healthy and appropriate way to kind of lean into life and to lean into the challenges and to lean into the issues that are going on around us as opposed to backing up. So he's going to talk about the superiority of Jesus. And he's going to talk to the Christian community and say, guys, don't back up. Don't retreat. Stay engaged. Now, the next question is, and these are the questions people ask all the time, where is he writing from and kind of who is he writing to? Well, in the last book of the, last chapter of the book, he, he makes this interesting statement. He says, those from Italy greet you. So the general sense is he's probably writing from somewhere in Italy, but maybe he just left and he's on his way. Maybe he's there and he's hanging out in Rome. Maybe he's in a, in a, in a territory around. But he's probably in that section of the world. But he's also writing in particular, it seems, to the Jewish community, to those who have a Jewish history, because he talks to the Hebrews. And, and the book is titled, To the Hebrews. Now, one of the things that's interesting, though, in this is that overwhelmingly, as he quotes Scripture, he quotes the Septuagint. Um, now, this is the this is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. He doesn't quote the Hebrew translation; he quotes the Greek translation. So, he's overwhelmingly probably a person who has not lived in Jerusalem very much. And overwhelmingly he's talking to those who have been spread throughout the world, the Jewish community that's been spread throughout the world. And that's where a large part of the gospel grew and impacted as, as Paul went out and as the church started to grow. That was where the, those were the first followers of Jesus in each community was, was converted Jewish individuals. Now, canonicity. This is an interesting one too. question for you. Slightly a trick question. Did people choose the canon or did God establish the canon of scripture? God did. See, God is the one who directed people to communicate. God is the one who directed people to write. God is the one who did that. But at different times, other people also wrote letters or wrote things. And in that process, some people got confused as, is that that person's letter is this, this God communicating to us? Across the board, people recognized and accepted that this is 
an authoritative book that God had communicated from the very beginning of the process. All right? Now, let's jump in a little bit and let's kind of look at some of the things that are going on here. And I want us to look, I just want to first of all read through Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 and then we're going to take a moment to come back and kind of walk through that. And we're going to touch on a few other things as well. You can, if you have your Bible, you can follow along, or on your phone, you can also follow along on the screen. He says, Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to, uh, to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's a mouthful. That's a great and wonderful mouthful, but it's a mouthful. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll start to jump into it. Father, I just thank you for the time you've given us this morning. A beautiful day, a great day to walk with you, a great day to just enjoy your goodness to us. Father, I just thank you for the privilege you've given us to spend some time in your word. Father, guide our time, I ask, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, I love what he says here at the very beginning. And if he's writing to the Jewish community, the Jewish community is going to get this. They're going to understand it. And if you're a person who's started to develop some roots and some history in your relationship with God and in your context of Christianity and start to understand the Bible a little bit, you're going to understand as you walk through Scripture that God, as you look at the Old Testament, is a series of areas and a series of ways as God has been communicating to mankind over an extended period of time. And he starts out, the person writing says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by prophets at different times and at different ways. Overwhelmingly, the way God communicated was through prophets. And God would send a messenger And that messenger would come before the people and he would say, Thus says the Lord. Now that's maybe the King James Version. He might come and say, God has something he wants you to hear. Maybe that's the translated version today. God wants you to understand something. God sent me to tell you X. And and he would start to communicate. He would start to preach. He would start to tell the nation, tell the people what it is they needed to know. That's what he's saying. God has been communicating to us for years. And the Jewish community would know that. Where would they go? They would go to the Old Testament. They would read in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And as they would read that, part of what's going on in their thinking, part of what's going on in their understanding is they know that much of that was written by Moses, who was a prophet of God, who God sent to the nation of Israel to take the nation out of bondage, to take them out of slavery in Egypt. God 
gave to Moses the law, which was the foundation and structure for Jewish community, for Jewish worldview, for Jewish values. And God gave all of that to the Jewish nation. And they would understand this. They would come back and say, yes, God has been communicating us to us through years, through the various prophets. Now there's also frustration a little bit that they had with that. Because as we talked a couple weeks ago, though you come to the end of that period of history around 400 BC, and it was like God got quiet. And they went 400 years between in those silent years. So after their return from Assyria and after the Assyrians let the nation of Israel turn to the promised land, there were some people that came and some prophets that spoke and then quietness. And then the, the Greeks came in and man, they wreaked havoc and all sorts of stuff. Rome starts to assert themselves. Silence and quiet. Where is God? And is God going to speak? And is God going to communicate? Does God have anything to say? And they're waiting for a prophet to show up to say, thus says the Lord. Now on a few occasions, God used some other means to communicate. Some of you know about the prophet Balaam and he was not doing what God wanted to do and he was still going to go do what he wanted to do anyway and God turned his donkey into a mouthpiece and next thing you know he's hitting the donkey and the donkey turns around and it rebukes him now I grew up in farm country okay I've never heard a cow go yo over here you know we had cats, dogs, chickens we had horses for a period of time we had cows in the field no, amazingly, we didn't, we didn't have many pigs. But, you know, none of them kind of said, you're over here. I have something that you need to know. None of them ever spoke. Now you have the whole joke. Okay, my dog is going to talk. What's above our head? Roof. Oh, very good, yes. No, we're not talking those kinds of games where we pretend that the dog is saying there's a roof overhead or pretending the dog can do different things. Okay? We don't expect that. God turned the donkey into a mouthpiece. At other times, God would kind of speak pointedly to individuals. And so when when Moses went up to the mountain, God revealed himself and God spoke to him. Elijah was so depressed, so frustrated, and, and, and God met to him and spoke to him in a still, small, quiet voice. And at different times, God revealed himself in different ways, but the primary way that God would communicate with the nation of Israel was through a prophet. But when Jesus came, Jesus was not a prophet. He was prophetic. He said things that need to be heard He would say to the people, this is what God says. But his role wasn't so much that of a prophet as he was the son of God. God himself revealing himself and showing himself and communicating to everyone what God wants them to know. He was more than just a prophet. It goes on. 
in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. More than just a prophet. And God has appointed him heir of all things. I love some of these words. You know, we we use these words sometimes as throwaway. Couples, when we argue, do you ever ever do this when you argue with your significant other? You always do this! And we use these all-inclusive words. You never do! Don't do that. You've, You've lost your argument right away. Because they don't always do that. And it's not that they never do that. Not true. Now, I'm not going to tell you the better way to argue. I'm just telling you that when we do those things, we have already lost because we use these really strong words that really aren't accurate. And yet what's going on here? God is saying... All things have been placed under Jesus. Now what's not included in all? What's not included in all? Nothing. Nothing, that's right. No fine print. Don't you love it when you go someplace and they tell you that they, they promise you the world, all this, oh, da, 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 and then there's the fine print. And you get the fine print, and when you read the fine print, what you realize actually, it's not everything. It doesn't include this, it doesn't include this, it doesn't include this, it doesn't include this. I'll give you an example. So over in the kids' connection room, it's been cooking. It's also our, our day, one of our daycare rooms. It's been cooking. So it's been like a, <clears throat> the heat is cooking, the heat is going. It's going so much that one day we had to turn the air conditioner on just to compete with the heat. We have a service contract to fix stuff. Because we were getting hit with piecemeal stuff. And so we got a service contract to fix stuff so we wouldn't be hit with the piecemeal stuff. Called them up and said, we got to get this fixed. It's a problem. Said, okay, we'll come look at it. And they sent me a proposal for 2000 bucks. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's right. I called them up and I said, no, I didn't use two phones. I just used one. <laughs> probably wanted to use two phones I said what's going on we have a service contract how come we're being hit with like a two thousand dollar bill well this part of the project is not included in the service contract so it doesn't include all I said we'll drop a hundred bucks because this particular piece you're talking about that's in the service contract Often people say all or every, and they really don't mean that. And there's fine print to really delineate what that word means. There's no fine print here. No fine print. 
God has appointed him heir of all things. All things. Can I say something? We don't give all of everything to minor, secondary, not important people. All things. All things. Again, talking about the superiority and uniqueness and specialness of Jesus. But I, no, I love this next part because we spent some time walking in Genesis this, this, this new year. And it says, and made, and all things, and made the universe through him. So when we go back to Genesis and we say, in the beginning, God. And God made the heavens and the earth. In there is Jesus doing stuff. Because God made it all through him. Jesus was intimately engaged and involved in making all stuff. Now again, how many angels are creating stuff? None. Why? Because he's driving home the reality that Jesus is superior. Jesus is unique. He's distinct in all of creation. He's distinct in all of history. He is unique. Keeps on going. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Now, I love this in John 14. Jesus is in the upper room. Judas has just left. He's departed. Everyone thinks he's going to go buy something. He's actually going to go to the high priest. He's going to bring the guards. He's going to betray Jesus. He's going to meet him in the Garden of Gethsemane. So right after that event takes place, this conversation starts to unfold. And Jesus says, let them know, I'm not going to be here, I'm going. And then you have that famous conversation, where are you going? And he says, you know, what's all that? He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, are many rooms. And and, and that conversation starts to unfold. and, And that encouragement, guys, don't worry. I've got you covered. I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to care for you. You're not going to be abandoned by me, but I'm going right now to a place, and you're not going to be able to follow me right now. But once, in a little while, you'll be with me. Don't, don't freak out, but, this, but stuff is going to change. And in that conversation, he starts to talk about how he, Jesus showed the Father, and, he said, and then he said, well, well, show us the Father. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. And again, we come back to this conversation, and he's saying almost something identical to that here. After He says, he is the exact expression of his nature. The exact expression. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at at Jesus. He 
It's the radiance of God's glory. The exact expression of his nature. Now again, strong words. He doesn't say he's he's a good representation of. He's a good image of or very similar to. He is the exact representation of. That's a big difference. Things that are similar are still off. Things that are kind of like are still off. They don't fully line up. But Jesus isn't kind of and sort of. He is exact. In every place where God moves and flows, Jesus moves and flows. In every nuance, Jesus is nuanced. He is the exact representation of the Father. We want to know who God is? We want to know who the Father is? All we need to do is look at Jesus. He's a duplicate. Not a partial, not a mostly. I mean, we have a copy maker here. You ever go to the copy maker and you throw your copy in and it makes a copy, but you hold the two one next to the other and they don't quite look the same? It's a copy, but they don't quite look the same. This is not the deal. Exact, exact duplication. Exact representation of the Father. Sustaining, and I love this next part, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What's holding those pews together? What's holding the walls together? Jesus is holding it all together. He sustains it. Holding all things together the power of Jesus is all around us in the work that he is still doing and we look at it and we think it's passive because if you've been here before those pews have been here for like a long time the building has been here a long time we kind of see it as a static passive thing And yet in all that, Jesus is holding it together. Sustaining it. And then you have this. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The finished work of Jesus is done. When we talk about he sat down, we're talking about something that's finished. You ever, you ever have those days where you have projects outside you got to do? And you kind of get up early and you get, you get at it and you start doing that stuff. And it's a long day and it's, maybe it's a cooking day. And you're ready to get in and sit down. The lunch is okay. But as you're eating lunch, you know something. When I'm done, 
I got to go back outside. I'm not finished yet. But at the end of the day, when it's all done, we come in, we sit down, and now we... Because we don't have to go back outside to finish it. It's done. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father because it is done. There's nothing else to be done. There's nothing else that needs to be done to provide forgiveness of sin. There's nothing else that needs to be done to address the sin problem that every single one of us has. It's done. It's finished. It is complete. Now the question is, does a person want to receive that gift? Does a person want to put their faith and trust in Jesus? That's now on the, on the plate of the individual who's going to respond to the cross. That's on the plate of the individual who's going to respond to the message of Jesus. But as far as everything Jesus has done and everything that Jesus needs to do, it's done. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father in a position of power and authority. It is done. When Jesus said, it is finished, he didn't say it's mostly done. He didn't say, I'll be back next week to finish it. He didn't get off the cross and give us a punch list and say, okay, these are a few more things that got to be addressed. It is finished. Done. And so we have this. And I thought I was going to we have time to go into the other parts and we're going to do that next week. And it says, So he became superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here's part of what I think is going on. I think part of what's going on is people are thinking that angels and other things are more important than Jesus. And it's not. And they are not. The most important thing, the most important person, Jesus. The work that he has done, the most important stuff. He's the perfect representation, the exact representation of the Father, and he has finished and completed the work. Nothing else to do. And yet, oftentimes we sometimes tend to treat other people as more important. We might treat a boss more important, a rule or a law more important. We might treat a spouse more important. We might treat a child as more important. We might treat desires that we have in our lives to pursue and fulfill as more important. Maybe we have a person that is teaching us stuff and we listen to that and we say, no, that's more important than the message of Jesus. But the writer is coming back and saying there's nothing more important, there's nothing more superior than the message in the person of Jesus. Nothing, nothing, nothing. You're living in a worldview where the messengers of God were important. they're not important than the one sending the message. And Jesus is the one who's the sender of messages. And there's no one more important than him. 
We're going to pick up more on this next week and start to unpack this and look at this further. But as we shift gears this morning, I want us to come to communion and talk about communion. This is a routine that we practice and it's something that we do on a monthly basis. But here's one of the things I want to encourage you to think about in the context of the conversation that's taking place. Have you ever heard the word familiarity breeds contempt or the concept, the phrase? Who's heard that? Familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah, that's right. So this is why we... We listen to the boss who's given us a great job and they have a project for us, but we're working on something else. We go, yeah, 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 I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And we've kind of have forgotten their role in our life. By the way, if anyone does not have things for communion and they'd like it, if you just wave your hand, Vicki will kind of come down and make sure you have stuff for communion. Just kind of wave at Vicki there and she'll get it to you. Familiarity breeds contempt. We sometimes find that as parents. It's just mom and dad. Okay? We give you life. We give you a home. We give you a place to live. We feed you. We clothe you. And then you don't listen to us. What's wrong with you? Because familiarity has bred contempt. Often, in our actions, in our attitudes towards God, familiarity has bred some contempt. We know God, we understand God, but he'll give me a pass. And I don't need to be so serious. I don't need to be so active. I don't need to be so intense about it. Come on, chill. Relax. What's going on in the Hebrews and probably what's happened in our lives as well is God sometimes gets relegated to a secondary or tertiary. He kind of, he, we, we put God on the list somewhere. He's on the list. But he's not primary. God has given us communion to remind us. And sometimes we come to communion and we treat this with contempt. Well, it's that routine, it's that tradition. We remember Jesus and then we eat the little wafer, we drink a little bit of that juice, and we go and we go we go home. But I would encourage you to not treat this lightly. This is a reminder. And Jesus was very pointed as he distributed the bread and the juice on that, in that upper room on the night he was betrayed. He says, he says this, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's not, oh, off we go. So what's going on this afternoon? Remember. Reflect. Bring Jesus back into context. Bring Jesus back into perspective and respond to him and remember him and see him truly in that elevated place he really is in. And the writer of the Hebrews is telling us Jesus is not secondary, guys. Jesus is primary. Don't treat Jesus in a secondary, unimportant way. Jesus is primary. He needs to be front and center in your life. And so as we partake, I would encourage you to take a few moments to do some introspective and say, Lord, are there areas in my life where you've started to become secondary, where you've kind of started to become unimportant, or where other things maybe have become more important to my life? I'm 